Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. This audio will cover one topic, the feeding of the 5,000. We'll start in Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard about it, the it being the death of John the Baptist, which we talked about in the last audio and which is covered in the first 12 verses. When Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there. That's from probably from Capernaum, his base of operations. He withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Now, we'll have to go to the synoptic parallels there. Luke 9.10 tells us that the place he withdrew to was Bethsaida. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all they had done. This is in Luke 9.10. That's how we know the apostles returned from their missionary journey that we talked about in, after they were sent out in Matthew 9. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. And we're going to assume this is Bethsaida Julius on the northwest, northeast, excuse me, northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is the only one of the four accounts of this miracle that state where the feeding was. Now, the interesting thing about this miracle, it's got to be one of Jesus' biggest miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 that we're going to talk about in this audio. It's listed in all four Gospels. In fact, it's one of the very few passages that are parallel in all four Gospels. So we have a lot of parallel scriptures we can look to to see what happened at, during this miracle. So this is a big man. Well, obviously, feeding 5,000 people when you don't have the food to do it, that's a huge miracle. But we'll get there in a minute. For now, let's talk about why Jesus withdrew to this remote place, why he left Capernaum to go to Bethsaida. Here's some options as to why. He could have been concerned about Herod Antipas, the governor of the region there where Capernaum was in Galilee. Herod Antipas would have heard about Jesus through John the Baptist. Herod Antipas would have heard that crowds, crazy crowds were gathering all over the place to hear him teach. And Roman uh, subordinate rulers in the Roman Empire did not like their jurisdictions to have messianic movements in them or revolutionary movements. That's bad politics. That's bad business. So Antipas could have been on his case, and Jesus would have known that. And so he says, I've got to get out of here to a remote place. Was it because he feared death? No, Jesus very courageously faced death at, in three years or so later. So we knew it couldn't be that. But he knew his time had not come yet. And if he got killed prematurely, that would ruin his plans to train his disciples to spread the kingdom, to set up the kingdom of God on earth in its seminal form. Now, this fact that he... If it is true that he withdrew to the remote place to avoid Herod Antipas, this shows that it is not cowardly or sinful to prudently avoid danger, as John Gill reminds us. All right, let's look at some other options as to why he withdrew. Not necessarily mutually exclusive. The fanaticism of his would-be followers in Galilee. This is according to the famous Greek scholar A.T. Robertson, who did the famous Harmony. He said that, well, you know... These people were crazy, and they could try to make him Messiah before it was his time. And he didn't want to get in trouble with the Jewish authorities just yet over that. It could have been not only was he afraid of Herod Antipas, he could have been concerned about the hostility of the Jewish rulers who might have been coming up there to put the heat on and maybe uh, haul him into court for blasphemy. Now, here's some more practical reasons. Maybe it could be the heat of the approaching summer. This is A.T. Robertson's idea. We are somewhere just before the Passover, according to Robertson, and it's starting to get hot, and maybe he wanted to get out of Capernaum and go to a cool mountain place. Well, I don't know about that. It's, good. it's a nice speculation. Maybe he wanted the disciples of John who had come up there to Capernaum to, to meet him after John the Baptist's 
had been John the Baptist had been killed, maybe he wanted to give them some refreshment and rest they needed to get alone. So think about it. You've got the returning apostles coming back from the missionary journey, and then you've got the disciples of John the Baptist meeting Jesus. This is a perfect time to get away from all the hoopla around Capernaum. In fact, Mark chapter 6, verse 31 says this, He said to them, to the disciples of John the Baptist, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. See, things were too hectic around in Capernaum. They needed to get away. They needed to get away to teach, to hear what his disciples had to say and what the disciples of John the Baptist have to say and for to further instruct them. They needed to have time. The disciples of John the Baptist needed to have time to grieve over John the Baptist's death. And Jesus, as well as the, the disciples of John the Baptist, needed to have time to digest the news of the spread of the kingdom, which was brought by the apostles returning from their missionary journey. So there was good reason to escape the crowds at Capernaum to go to the remote place there at Bethsaida. So he does so. He, uh, he took a boat, went to Bethsaida, four miles away. It's just right, right across the top of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 14 in Matthew 14, as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd. Now, isn't that great? He does everything he can to get alone. And what the results of his efforts are, he saw a huge crowd. So 5,000 men plus women and children, that was large. Bethsaida and Capernaum, I read somewhere, had at the most two to 3,000 people in it. So we're talking about two towns worth of people over there waiting for him on the shore somewhere near Bethsaida, Julius on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw this huge crowd. He felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, here's some options as to what about the crowd that especially drew out Jesus' compassion. Well, could be because they were sick amongst them. That always makes people feel compassionate, and Jesus felt compassion. Notice that even though he went there to get alone, he didn't say, well, you know, I came here to get alone. Get these crowds away from me. He went straight to them and started healing them and started teaching them. They were sheep but not a shepherd. That Maybe that's what aroused his compassion. In fact, Mark says this in Mark 6:34, parallel passage. So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. And here we have the teaching and the healing going together. Matthew 14 says he healed their sick. Mark 6 says that he taught them many things. There is not a false dichotomy between those two things. Cessationist, just because you go and get, get healed from sickness does not mean that you don't also want to hear about the things of the kingdom. John Gill says that Jesus was concerned both for the spiritual as well as for the physical state of his followers. He healed their sick and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. When evening came, after another hard days of work of healing people and teaching, when evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness, and it is already late. So we see that when Jesus got off the boat on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, it was near Bethsaida. It was not in Bethsaida because it was a wilderness. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, this verse says, when evening came, the Jews had two evenings, according to John Gill. One was after noontime when the sun began declining, and the second one was at dusk when the sun began to set. Now, the, this is the first evening, according to Gill. So it's shortly after noontime. The disciples began to be worried and said, we've, uh, we've got to have some food for these people. According to Gill, the second evening was at dusk. The sun had begun to set, and that's mentioned in, uh, eight verses later in Matthew 14:23. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 
Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but because it, it seems to me that it could be referring to one evening. But maybe Gill's right. Now, notice that the crowd needed food. This shows that the crowd longed for Jesus so much that they left their homes to go into a wilderness without food. And why not? Jesus is incredible. He's incredible teaching, incredible healing. Why wouldn't you? I'd have done the same thing. Matthew 14, verse 16. Jesus is answering his disciples' concern about the lack of food. And he says in verse 16, they don't need to go away. Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. I should emphasize the you. You give them something to eat. As to contrast with, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus, of course, was referring to the fact that he could work a miracle and they don't need to go out and buy some food. But now we see here in the parallel passage in John 6, verses 5 through 6, that Jesus actually did something to try to work up their faith, to increase their faith before he did the miracle. John 6, verses 5 through 6 says this, Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a large, a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So, Jesus did a little testing of Philip's faith before he said, you give them something to eat. Now, the question arises, why would Jesus do that? It's interesting to me that the word in Chinese and the word in English, test or try or tempt, it can be either tempt or it can be test. And I think the same is true in Greek, too, if my memory is correct. The word is sort of ambiguous, and there's, it's used in two different senses. If I try somebody, or, or let's say if I tempt somebody, I'm trying to give them a difficult situation that they will not deal with and therefore fail. That's to tempt somebody. To try some, to test somebody is to give them a difficult situation in which you expect them to not fail, but to succeed in thus building them up instead of tearing them down. For example, if the algebra teacher gives me a test, it's a difficult thing. I don't like her, maybe. I don't like the test. But once I do the algebra test, I feel real good because now I'm stronger at algebra. This was the kind of test that Jesus was giving Philip. He wanted Philip to believe him more. And ladies and gentlemen, this is time for application here. Jesus will often put you in a situation where there is absolutely no way that you can naturally deal with a situation, just like Philip was faced with the feeding of 5,000 people plus women and children with no bread and no money and no fish. Absolutely impossible. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you feed them. That is a test of your faith. And Jesus will do that to you. He'll say, okay, you've got an impossible situation. Deal with it. Because he expects you to use Jesus' supernatural power to deal with it because apart from him, you can do nothing, as he says in John 15. Matthew 14, verses 17 through 18. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them to me. John is more precise. The Gospel of John is a little bit more precise here. John 6, verses 8 through 9 says this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him. So when it's, it's Andrew that's speaking for the disciples... Uh, that says to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So again, Andrew is expressing what I guess some people could say is a lack of faith, but to me is a perfectly reasonable statement. How in the world are we going to feed 5,000 people with five lousy barley loaves and two little fish? The Greek for the fish there is a little fish, and lo the barley loaves, well it doesn't say barley loaves here, that's in John it says barley loaves, the barley loaves are loaves made of the cheap grain in Israel. The wheat grain was more, much more expensive. Barley was cheap food for the common people and the, and the poor people. 
So we got five lousy, cheap barley loaves and two tiny fish. Matthew 14, verse 19. Then he, Jesus, commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Now, how did he command the disciples to sit down through his disciples? He sent his disciples out and said, sit down, everybody. I'm sure that took a little bit of time to get 5,000 people to sit down. They didn't have PA systems then. The other synoptics uh, tell us that the disciples helped uh, get the crowds to sit down, according to Gill. They sat in ranks of 50s and 100s. Mark 6:40 says this, so they sat down in ranks of 100s and 50s. Why would they do that? Why would the disciples do that? Well, so they could count the people better, so they could more orderly distribute the food. Gill says it's so that the crowd could better see the miracles. There's more order, and you could look up there and see the miracles going on. In my humble opinion, you don't need to see. I don't think they could see that bread being multiplied and those fish being multiplied as Jesus did it because they're too far away. But they knew it was a miracle because they knew that they didn't have any food when they came to the, to the wilderness. And they knew that Jesus and 12 people don't have, weren't carrying enough food to feed 5,000 people. That's not possible. And all of a sudden, there's this food in the wilderness. By the way, some people point out that these people wandering around in the wilderness is, is similar to the ancient Israelites after the Exodus who were wandering around in the wilderness on the way to Sinai. And they had to depend on the manna from heaven, the bread that was miraculous, miraculously supplied to them. And here we have bread miraculously supplied to these poor sheep without a shepherd wandering around in the wilderness. It's a parallel. People these days love to look for these uh, literary parallels, biblical theology, they call it, you know, as you, as you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I like that kind of stuff, although sometimes I think it's a little uh, overly imaginative. But in this case, there might be a, a good parallel. Now, he took the loaves and fishes, probably held them up to heaven, uh, some Gil says so that everyone can see the miracle. I don't think so, as I just said. And then he blessed them. And now, actually, the Greek does not say blessed them. It says he blessed, period. I've got two literal translations that prove that. Young's and Green's literal translation. He just blessed. He didn't bless the loaves. Now, why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because you don't bless loaves. In the, in the scriptures, you either bless God or you or people are blessed. If you bless God, that means you're praising God. If people are blessed, that means they are made happy. I just won the lottery. I've been blessed, that kind of thing. The original doesn't say the loaves were blessed. Uh, I found some English translations. Of course, two of them are literal. He blessed with no object. There's also the English revised version that does that. It just says he blessed. The ESV says he said a blessing. The NIV says he gave thanks. So he didn't bless the loaves. So when we say bless the food, that's not really accurate. That probably comes from this parable, I mean this uh, this biblical passage here, let's bless the food, but actually you don't bless food. You bless God or you bless people if you want to be strict about it. Let's go to verse 20 in Matthew 14. Everyone ate and was filled, and then they picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. The they there is the disciples, not the not everyone. It's the disciples. Now the Jews used to not reckon it a meal unless a man was filled. So when it says everyone ate and was filled, that means, man, we've had a meal. In fact, it was considered an ill omen if anything was left over. It was also considered a no-no to let food hit the ground, too. So, But at any rate, uh, they did have some leftovers. Uh, they had 12 basketfuls. Now, 12 baskets full of leftovers it's not a lot for 5,000 people, so, they, so it must be the disciples who took their 12 baskets and, and picked up some leftover bread. Now, the problem is, is why, how, did, how, did they, how did the disciples get, where did they get the baskets? 
Uh, why were 12 baskets there in the wilderness? Well, some people say the apostles took them with them. Gill says, no, that's not so in his opinion, that rather some people in the crowd lent them to the apostles, and these people in the crowd had brought them with them, either to use somehow or to sell from. However, it could have been the apostles because the Jews carried baskets with them personally. It's an interesting Jewish culture here. They had a custom of carrying straw and hay in baskets, according to John Gill and Adam Clark, to memorialize their slavery in Egypt, where they had to mix straw with the mud. Sometimes, uh, Jews sometimes carried baskets because they were afraid of being polluted by heathens' meat, so they would carry their own provisions with them so they wouldn't have to buy the heathens' meat. And, of course, in this case, they, if this view was true, they carried the baskets without buying meat, and they went out in a hurry without, in, in their haste to see Jesus, and they didn't carry provisions with them. Sometimes they carried hay to sleep on in their baskets. So if this is true, there's plenty of reasons why the apostles might have been carrying a basket out there in the wilderness. They had 12 apostles, so they had 12 baskets, and so they filled up those 12 baskets with leftovers, and that's why we know it's the disciples who were picking up after the crowd. It also probably means that the apostles only picked up their leftovers, not the whole crowd's leftovers. I mean, that's a lot of work going out there picking up 5,000 men's plus women and children's leftovers, and all those leftovers are going to fit in 12 baskets? I don't think so. The others in the crowd would pick up their own leftovers. Now, if that's the case, that the disciples have baskets with leftovers and the rest of the crowd have leftovers, that means there's even a bigger abundance than uh, would have been thought if, it, if the 12 baskets were leftovers for the whole 5,000. If they were leftovers for, if those leftovers for the, in the 12 baskets were just for the apostles, that means there was leftovers for the other 5,000, which means that the miracle was even bigger. Bigger, bigger, bigger. A huge miracle. The Jews required that bread that fell to the ground be picked up because bread was regarded as a gift from God, and so this fits with Jewish customs that they would pick up the toy baskets. And Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, would mention that. That might be why he mentioned it. We're, we're taking care of business here, even in the wilderness. We, left, we didn't leave the leftovers to the birds. We picked it up. We got lots of leftovers. So everybody stuffed. They were filled and... Even though it was considered an ill omen, if anything was left over, they still had things left over because they just couldn't eat anymore. And it's application time. If you want your temporal goods to be magnified, put them in the hands of Jesus and let him multiply those natural means of your sustenance. And you're going to be filled and there's going to be an abundance more than what you'll know to do with. The fact that 5,000 people saw this miracle, that's a whole heap of witnesses. That's why the Jews never claimed he didn't do miracles. They couldn't deny that he did miracles. Too many people saw what he did. Matthew 14, verse 21. Now, those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Matthew's the only gospel writer who mentions the women and children. He was writing to Jews who did not permit women and children to eat publicly with men, and that's probably why he mentioned the separate account. If you're writing to Gentiles, you'd probably say about 6,000 people, including women and children, something like that. But Matthew splits it out because of the Jewish custom. Women and children were in a place, by, and they probably ate in a place by themselves, too, because the, the custom was they didn't eat with the men. There's probably not a lot of women and children there because if they were getting ready to go to the Passover, which was coming up shortly... Only males were required to go. It's, and besides, taking women and children into the wilderness might be a little bit risky for the men to do that, to take their wives and their kids along uh, into a wilderness area. But it could be that the women were so excited they flocked with the men too, so I don't know. That's all speculation. Now, Matthew says there were about 5,000 men. Luke says the same thing in Luke 9:14. For about 5,000 men were there, John 16. 
says the men numbered about 5,000 to show that it's a rough number. Mark, however, just says that now those who, this is in Mark 6, verse 44, now those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, if somebody were hyper picky, i.e. a liberal who's bound to determine to find errors in the Scripture, instead of submitting himself humbly to the Scripture and letting God and his hard study work out the alleged inconsistencies and contradictions, if he had a proper attitude, he would be able to do that. But if, he, if one of these hyper-picky hyper liberals looked at this and said, Mark says 5,000, that means 5,000. It doesn't mean 5,001, and it doesn't mean 4,999. That's not what Mark meant. He meant about 5,000 men. He just didn't say it. And the parallel synoptics prove it. Now, let's mention this 5,000 number again. This size of this crowd is remarkable, according to my NIV study Bible, because the population of the neighboring towns was smaller than the crowds in the wilderness. Capernaum, Capernaum and Bethsaida probably had only about 2,000, 3,000 people each in each town. So Jesus was dealing with a population greater than a town out there in the wilderness. All right, so... We have now finished the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 14:22 says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And Matthew 14:22 will be the beginning of the discussion of, of Peter walking on the water. And we'll do that in the next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.